I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 69. Donna's oh. favorite fucking God, is coming. Ah, she had, I sounded like Gonzo. <laughs> <laughs> I always gotta steal my jokes. We just recorded a, a milk carton mini episode for the Patreon bonus episode. And I, that girl, I knew so many damn jokes she was about to say. Stole my thunder twice. All right. Want to jump in? Mm-hmm. Okay. The first one is, hey, ladies, I've been listening to your podcast over the past few weeks, and y'all crack me up. I wanted to share with you a creepy encounter I had as a teenager that still freaks me out to this day. I was going to write in last night, but I'm braver when the sun is up. Completely understand. Because I'm including some info about mental health struggles, I'm going to ask for you to please not use my name. Thank you. You shall be called Dorothy. This happened the summer that I was 13. My dad had just picked me up from the day camp I attended and dropped me off at home before leaving to run some errands. As the youngest of my family, I was rarely home alone, so I double-checked that the doors were locked before going upstairs to take a shower. Some of the windows may have been open since it was the middle of July, but I'm not sure. This day, I decided to take a shower in my parents' master bathroom instead of the bathroom I shared with my older siblings. Their bathroom is separated from their bedroom with a half wall type thing, no door, so I locked the bedroom door in case someone came home before I was out. While I was washing my hair, I got shampoo in my eyes and reached for a towel to wipe off my face. Before popping back in the shower, I happened to glance towards their closet and it felt like my heart stopped beating and my blood froze as I made eye contact with the man standing there no way watching me no their shower door is frosted glass so i wouldn't have seen him if i hadn't had my head out of the shower the man was dressed in a really nice suit and stood there with perfect posture his hands were clenched into fists at his side he was elderly and had pure white hair and wrinkles all over his face And the part of him that scared me the most were the piercing blue eyes that held nothing but rage as they burned into mine. I felt paralyzed with fear, but he didn't move. He didn't even blink. Slowly, I reached back into the shower to turn the water off. I wrapped myself in a towel, grabbed my clothes off the floor, and left my parents' room without breaking eye contact with him until I closed their door. I didn't turn around until I was back in my own bedroom down the hall from my parents' room. I didn't have a cell phone, and the house phone was downstairs in the kitchen. I had no idea how long it would be until anyone in my family would be home, so I armed myself with the plastic wiffle ball bat I had in my room. Oh my gosh. When someone got home, I heard them unlocking the door, so I knew it had to be unlocked the entire time I was home. I never heard the man leave my parents' bedroom either, though... I would and still do swear on my life that there was a man in their closet that day. I realized no one would believe me if I told them the truth. I just knew he'd be gone without a trace. It's been over 10 years and I haven't been alone in my parents' bedroom since. A few years ago, my sister made a joke about the man in my mom's closet and how we can hear him walking around while we're in the room directly below. She meant it as a joke, but it felt like she read my mind. 
Important note, I didn't tell my family about seeing that man until one family dinner a few months ago. Our parents built this house so there were no previous owners and no one has died there. I don't believe in ghosts, but I believe that there is something that lives in my parents' bedroom. Some additional information. I was around 11 when I began struggling with my mental health and entered into cycles of depression, anxiety, suicidal ideations, self-injury, and eating disorders. At the time that I saw the man, the self-injury was at its worst and I was facing severe and intrusive suicidal thoughts. I've heard of extreme emotional distress causing an increase in paranormal activity and have wondered if there might be a connection with that. The only other time I've seen that man, though briefly, and I'm not sure if I truly saw him or if it was my eyes playing a cruel trick on me, was when I was at my lowest weight from self-starvation and was going through an extremely rough breakup from an unhealthy relationship. I'm doing better now, eating consistently and enough for the first time in years, and am in a healthy relationship with a person I want to marry. Life is so good, and I'm so glad that I held on through the extremely difficult preteen and teenage years. Therapy is a gift, and healthy relationships are worth holding out for. I hope you enjoy my story. If you have any ideas of what was in the closet, but if you say demon, I might freak out, please let me know. Creep it real and stay safe. That is so freaking creepy. And powerful, too, because... yes. I mean, when you're at your most vulnerable, you're the most open, I guess. Yeah. Well, and the apparition, the the old man, he was like filled with rage and stuff too. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important correlating with her mental health. Yeah. You know? But if it was like a shadowy type person, I just feel like it wouldn't have those like piercing blue eyes. So it's almost like, I don't know, I pretend like I know what I'm talking about, but some sort of like manifestation of the anxiety and fear, you know, in her. Yeah. Either way, we're so glad that you are safe and in such a better place. Yes. And are a truly a beacon of hope for anyone who's going through what you've been through. It's it's hopeful To see someone on the other side of it. Definitely. And if you are having any suicidal ideations, any thoughts of self-harm, please reach out for help. All right. This one's about sleep paralysis. That's what it's titled. Hey, ladies. I'm new to the podcast, and I just have to say I have found my people. I love listening to you ladies while I'm at work to pass the time. I know some of these people be looking at me crazy because y'all be having me dying laughing. (laughs) That is the best when you are just like cackling at something and nobody knows what you're laughing at. Yes. Well, and then if you're like me, you can't tell them without like you can't talk because you're laughing even more. It's ridiculous. First, a little backstory. Then on to my experience. I had an older brother who passed away from SIDS when he was four months old. So naturally, him being older, I never got the chance to meet him. When he passed, it hit my dad hard. So I think that's why he, my brother, stays with him. The things my brother has done, I will say for another day. Let's just say he's a prankster and can get jealous. So on to my experience. I've had sleep paralysis episodes before, but I've never seen anything until this night. 
I was sleeping on my back and boom, welcome sleep paralysis. I'm laying there and I see a little boy walk into my room through the door. I have a six-year-old son and I know it wasn't him because this little boy was shorter and skinnier. I wasn't able to make out his features because he was just a dark figure. He came and stood next to my bed. Obviously, I couldn't move to turn my head to look at him, but I could move my eyes. Still didn't see what he looked like. Then suddenly, he was gone. Now, all of his other shenanigans and the feeling of someone sitting on my bed while I'm laying down, I will save for another time. Creep it real, Tasha. Uh, I don't fucks with the sleep paralysis. No, and then add a child up in there? Mm-mm. No, double whammy, no thank you. Because you know they're never actually kids. No. It's always something masquerading as a child. But even if it was a kid, no. Also, um, we need all of those stories. Because mm-hmm. you're a good teaser. This one is, my grandma thinks I'm a banshee. Hey gals, it's Maddie P, she, her pronouns. From Indiana, and I have a story for you. There is a shit ton of parts to this, so bear with me here. Picture it. About a year ago, I had one of those dreams that fucks you up once you wake up and start processing. It's a dream, so the scenes just flash from one place to the next in the trippy manner that they do. The first scene I really remember was a grubby dive bar, the best kind of bar, That was full of people that I seemed to know but couldn't actually pick out faces. I noticed that through the crowd, there was a dark, dementor-ass-looking figure that was weaving through the individuals getting their booze on. It had a long, ragged cloak without a hood on and a face that looked like it had been bandaged for so long that the only remaining humanoid aspects of it was bone structure. There were several scenes after this one, and each of the places, the figure was making its way casually through the crowds in the background. It was almost as if it wanted me to know that it was there no matter where I went. Always. Before I woke up, I found myself alone in a familiar cemetery from my hometown. The dark figure was walking between tombstones not too far off from me. When it got to the graves directly in front of me, it turned, squared up towards me, and looked me dead in the eye. I woke up, thank gods, and was unable to get the dream off my mind. It was important, and I was meant to take something away from it. Shook, gals, shook. Jumped to about a month later, and I was doing a guided meditation course on opening your heart chakra, and the second guidance was on finding your spirit guide so it can lead you to your shadow archetype, what is holding you back on the deepest human level. The guide led you down a path to an opening where you were to find a door. My opening was a circular path of grass with damn near a hobbit home sitting in the middle. She tells you to go into the door where you will find a staircase. My staircase looked like the spiral dungeon staircase going down into a dark abyss. At the end of the stairs, the instructor said there would be a light. Mine was an Indiana Jones looking torch. (laughs) I was instructed to grab the light, and as I did, my spirit guide would appear. 
Well, what do you know? The dark figure was my guide. I wasn't scared by any means like I was in my dream, but more so relieved to know that who and what this Dementor's purpose was in regards to me. After my spirit guide and I found my archetype, resolved it, yada, yada, yada. Okay, now jump to a couple of weeks later. I swear to goddess, this is going to be the end soon. A friend who I have been extremely close to for over 10 years reached out to tell me he was having an extremely hard time mentally due to some occurrences in his life and that he had been making some pretty shit decisions due to it. I informed him that I would be back in my hometown, where he lived, that upcoming Sunday and we would go get a drink and talk through some of his hardships. Well, Sunday came and I didn't hear anything from him, but I had seen on his Snapchat that he'd been hanging out, day drinking with our guy friends, and I figured he was just a little liquefied and forgot that we had plans. Monday came and I still hadn't heard anything back from him, so my mom and I decided to go on a hike in my parents' forest. Your parents own a forest? It was early April and still cold as hell outside, so we bundled up, rolled a J, and set out for the woods. During our hike, a butterfly landed not even six inches away from my foot. It was sandy orange color and had no business fluttering about when it was as cold as it was. The butterfly just sat there. No matter how close I got to it, it did not move. My mom and I are both highly intuitive beings, and so the two of us and the butterfly sat there and discussed who this little flutter could possibly be from the other side. The next day, I returned to the city that I currently live in and got the news that my good friend that I was supposed to have drinks with had taken his life late Saturday night. Oh my gosh. I lost one of the most important human beings in my life, a human that I have loved in ways that I haven't experienced with anyone else. But he came to say goodbye that day in the woods. Looking back, that butterfly was the exact same color as his hair. I wish I would have sat there with him all day in the forest. I had gotten warned The dark figure appeared in the dream to give me premonitions of what was to come and showed up in my meditation to introduce itself. Since then, I have discussed heavily with my grandmother, who comes from a long line of Celtic gypsies and is my teacher on everything metaphysical. She informed me that my guide is actually death itself and that it makes perfect sense to her. I have a marking on my left hand under my pointer finger that says 1117, which basically means that in past lives, I've had something that I was meant to accomplish and had not. The ones represent the attempts, and the seven represents the attempt that I am making in this life, and that I have guides watching over me to ensure I succeed, aka death. My grandmother has told me my whole life that my soul is not meant to be here, and now with death as my guide, she explained that I have a connection to death and to the other side that many do not. She says that I am a banshee in human form, here to warn others of their upcoming death and be with them through their exit. Since then, my guide has appeared frequently, but as of now, not to warn me of any loss." 
All right, babes, sorry this was long. Someday I'll write in about my invisible friend who died in my grandma's house a long, long time ago, the entity that is attached to me, and the lady in my basement. Creep it real, my ghouls, Maddie and death. Whoa. Whoa. First of all, our heart breaks for you with your friend. Just like we said on the first story, please, if anyone is having suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideations, all the things, please reach out for help. Secondly, on a different note, what do you mean markings on your finger? No, on the below her index finger. Like, or like you mean like you're, you have a tattoo or it's like palm, like it's like you're, like your, the like, lines, lines in your, the creases in your palm. Yeah. I need to be informed because I am very interested in this. This whole damn story. There's so much to unpack. I, I don't even, I can't even, I'm speechless. <laughs> also, you are like our friend Tiffany in a way. Because I do a story about, a ban- about banshees because of Tiffany and her secret powers. Not so secret anymore because we're telling everybody. I was about to say, not so secret anymore because, you know, I blab. Wow. Oh, my God. Please tell us all the things. Yeah. You can't list all of those things. I hope you have sent in all the emails by now. If you haven't, you better get to typing. Mm -hmm. You better look like fucking Jim Carrey in Bruce Almighty and get to fucking typing. Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. The next one. Hi, ladies. Your podcast is definitely a new obsession of mine, and it really does help pass the time at work, like everyone mentions. I have quite a few stories for you, but I'll share one today. It's not terribly long, but it is an interesting one. At least, I'd like to think so. Just about 10 years ago, my ex-father-in-law offered to send my ex-husband and I on a trip. He said he'd pay for a cruise or anything we wanted to do. I chose a ghost hunting road trip. That sounds amazing. We visited, oh my God, we visited Waverly Hills, Trans-Allegheny, the Limp Mansion, and the Crescent Hotel. I've done all of those. I am completely jealous. Like, completely jealous. Okay. I'm from Louisiana, so it was a nice circle around the states. I don't know if the Limp Mansion does this anymore, but you used to be able to stay the night and wander around the entire home. The night we stayed in particular, we were told we'd have the house to ourselves once a paranormal tour completed. I was excited. We took the tour led by a medium and learned some interesting things about the home. To give you a brief history, the Limp Mansion was built in the 1860s and purchased by William Limp Sr., He was a successful brewmaster and had six children with his wife, Julia. In 1904, their fourth child, Frederick Papps, sound familiar, passed away from heart failure. Not too long after, William Sr., a man overcome with grief, died by suicide in the mansion. Frederick was his favorite child, clearly. Prohibition was a problem in the early 1900s. Dang alcoholics, insert sarcasm there. It was a real problem for the brewery, which had been run by William Limp Jr., not the favorite, during this period. 
The guy was a partier and not a businessman, so his misgivings and prohibition made it nearly impossible to continue to run the factory. He died by suicide in 1922 in the mansion. I remember you doing this story. Mm Mm-hmm. The limp daughter, Elsa, died by suicide in 1920. Don't know why, because she remarries her ex-husband. Also don't know why she did that. Then in 1949, Charles the Limp commits murder-suicide in the Limp Mansion. He kills his dog and then kills himself, leaving a note behind saying, In case I am found dead, blame it on no one but me. I don't like him because he killed his dog. Ugh. The stories were fascinating, and it's obvious the family had some of the worst luck. During our paranormal tour, I saw some orbs and mist. I even caught a glimpse of Charles's poor dog. That night, after everyone left, it was just me and my ex-husband. My heart was beating so fast because I have never had this much freedom in a haunted place. I didn't even know what to do with myself. We were staying in the room where the patriarch died by suicide, and it was at the top of the first level of stairs with the spiral staircase on the other side of the room, which was fancy large. I wanted to go down to the lower level and explore on my own, but it was completely dark. I didn't have a flashlight and could only see with some street lamp light coming through the windows. I took a step forward on the spiral staircase, holding onto the railing when I was pushed. I fell down a few steps, injuring my tailbone in the process. Suddenly, a bunch of flashlights shot up from the bottom of the spiral staircase, and that's when I found out that we were not actually alone. Some people decided to stay the night last minute after the tour. I'm glad they were there, though, because they rushed up the stairs to make sure I was okay. I couldn't believe it. Charles pushed me. I know he did. He knew I didn't like him because he killed his dog. So anyway, that is one of my many experiences. I hope y'all enjoyed. Creep It Real, Natalie from New Orleans. Well, I was wondering, I was like, the fucking, the flashlights. I'm glad those people were there. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was like, where's the fucking flashlights come from? Right? That's well, so shitty that they didn't tell y'all. Yes. Oh, my God. Like, wh- oh. Like, what if y'all would have been, like, packing? Yeah. You know? Like, and you hear something, and it's like, oh, that's a ghost. And then it's like, wait, 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 wait. Let's see. Yeah, that's just a disaster waiting to happen. Also, I'm pretty sure I can fall down a spiral staircase by myself. I don't need your help, Charles. Mm-hmm. They sure are pretty, but whew. No. Mm-mm. My eyes play tricks on me. We know my ankles play tricks on me, so. (laughs) Thank you so much for that, Natalie, and we hope you send in more of your experiences. Okay. First off, you guys are hilarious. My coworker, Christina, she's one of your Creepinati members, told me about you guys, and I was hooked. A great way to pass long days sitting in front of the computer. My story is just a short little creepy one. And for the longest time, I had forgotten about it, and then while I was listening to one of the episodes of the podcast, something just made it come rushing back. Here it goes. I was seven or eight at the time, and just a bit of a backstory, my uncle, he's only six months older than me, so more like a brother, and I would get off the bus at my great-grammy's house. She lived in a trailer park, but a little more high-end. Each trailer was taken care of with lawns and some woods separating the houses here and there. It was more of an elderly community. 
There was also another kid named Ricky that would get off the bus to be with his grandmother. He was older, like 11 or 12, but since there weren't many other kids in the area, we hung out and played with him. He was pretty cool, we thought anyway, because he was older, but was a bit different. Just gave off weird vibes. So one night, probably around 8, my uncle and I were sitting in the office at my mom's old house, which was like a 20-minute ride from my Grammy's neighborhood, playing a computer game and having a grand old time. Then all of a sudden, this face appears in the window. Uh Uh-uh. It's freaking Ricky. He was in a frantic state, just being weird and twitchy, dressed all in black. So weird to start with, but then he goes, come out here. I have knives I want to show you. What? Nope, nope. At that point, I was crying hysterically and screamed for my mom. She came in, and my stepdad went out to see if he could find him, but he was gone. We never saw him again after that, so I have no idea what in the hell happened to him. Thank God. Kaylee from Vermont. What the what? Like, there's no fucking telling what he was going to do to y'all if y'all went outside. No. I'd be telling your story in a main episode, not reading your email. Right? How he know where your mama lives? He followed him, I guess. Had to have. And then, like, dressing all black, thinking he's like a cat burglar. Also, hey, Christina. We know her. And uh, thanks for spreading the word. Definitely. And all I can think about is Ricky is, like, pre-Freddy Krueger. Like, come out here. I got some knives I want to show you. Like, what? Also, he might have found a really good career later on being those door-to-door salesmen. Selling knives. Yeah. The next one is Sinister Sighting, kinda. Dear Donna and Carrie, I have a few stories that I would love to get off my chest. For this purpose, because there are a few people who know the extent of my abuse history and would definitely recognize my real name, I'll be Sophia. As I'm Italian, and Italians do it better. When I was a little girl, maybe five or six, and we are talking early 80s here, I lived in a cul-de-sac in a fairly decent-sized town in a suburb of Denver. Now, picture it, a cul-de-sac with seven houses on one side of the main road and a cul-de-sac on the opposite side of the road facing one another. We were permitted to play with the kids who lived in the opposite cul-de-sac, but only a few of them were acceptable to our parents who were all besties and hung out together all the time. If you moved out of our cul-de-sac and looked to the top of the hill, there was another neighborhood to the north and one to the west. These neighborhoods were conveniently referred to as up the hill and down the hill. (laughs) (laughs) For me and the bulk of the other kids in our cul-de-sac, we weren't allowed to play with the kids from those neighborhoods. On the day of my first assault, I was playing on the lawn with my older friend who we'll call Susie. She was five years older than me, had the best toys, and put up with me being a tag-along. I don't remember what led up to this assault. I don't remember what was said. I only remember being tackled by a group of older boys. I was small and being held down on my stomach while I screamed and struggled. This went on for a while, but here's where it becomes troubling. My longest memory of this incident is standing next to my friend Susie while she tried to pull me out from under these boys. We're talking full disassociation. 
When I came around, I was able to turn over and started biting the first thing I could find. The main kid, who I remember as being in cut-off jean shorts, a jean vest, and with blonde hair, was within reach, and I bit him on the leg, just above the knee. I can see in my mind the shape of the bite, as it was as hard as my baby teeth would allow. He screamed, they all scattered, and you would have thought this was over. Amazingly, this boy went home and told his mother he was assaulted by a kindergartner. What the fuck? This led her to come down to our cul-de-sac, remember these were off-limit kids from up the hill, to confront my father. I remember hiding in Susie's house while my father and her father began talking to this woman. She was wearing actual curlers in her hair and a robe, extra classy. I never found out what they talked about, but clearly she didn't like it as she slapped my father before taking off with her son, my perpetrator. My father called the police, and I'm sure they came, but I don't know what was said. Later on, her husband came down the cul-de-sac for his turn with my father and pulled a knife. Though he didn't actually assault my father, obviously the police were called again. My father was informed that they were renting the house and left suddenly that same night. This is a memory that does surface from time to time and raises a lot of questions on how my parents responded. Now, as an adult, with a daughter at exactly the same age, I can't imagine what my parents may have been feeling about this. What I do know is that I don't ever remember being taken to a counselor to ensure I was okay. It was simply one of those things my parents say they just don't really remember. I've tried to process these things with my mother, and she will say, I'm sorry, I just don't remember. Susie remembers, and now both of us in our 40s haven't talked about it or anything else in a really long time. Our mothers still play together sometimes, and Susie is an amazing mom and teacher. For me, this was the beginning of a significant assault history. I recently tallied up six instances of sexual assault or unwanted sexual touching. My story is not unique. There are many individuals who have been victimized and were raised by adults who simply didn't know what to do. I spent a year doing trauma therapy and EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, and talked about this incident a lot while working with my therapist. Her explanation was, you just popped out of your body for a second. It's very common for child victims. Knowing now the importance of addressing trauma and victimization in people, especially children, I feel we as a culture are making strides towards decreasing the stigma that is associated with mental health. I'm hopeful that there are more safe adults out there having conversations with their kids about unwanted touching, what to do if something happens, and normalizing the need to talk about how we are feeling. Here's my advice. Knowing what we know now about the damaging and long-lasting impact of assaultive behavior in child victims, get your kid to a therapist. Maybe I would have learned distress tolerance skills before I was 35 years old, and maybe I would have learned to accept who I am and love myself, something I struggle with every day. I felt this was good for sinister sightings as when I think about What this kid did to me, I wonder now what had been done to him. Mm -hmm. 
perhaps nothing, and he's just a piece of shit who is now an adult, probably still being a piece of shit. Yet, maybe he was being abused as well, and he was just externalizing all of his anger and frustration onto a smaller, weaker individual. Either way, it was a damaging experience for me, which was the precursor to other instances of violence in my life. As a survivor, we, survivors, deserve the opportunity to heal and to become the best versions of ourselves. So while I continue to navigate my own troubling memories and try to raise a child who is kind and cares about others, I hope others have the strength to do the work around their trauma. It's so hard, but so worth it. I wish you all health and happiness. This kind of goes with one of the first stories of this episode about triumph and surviving and growing and moving past your traumas and becoming stronger, which is, again, hopeful for people who are in the trenches right now. Definitely. Thank you so much for sharing that story because, you know, we are paranormal, but we're true crime too. And we talk about these stories and sometimes we talk about the long-term effects of victimization and, and that sort of thing. But, I mean, this is a completely different perspective on, again, the long-term effects and the process to overcome what you've been through. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. Like I felt that emotion and that strength as I was reading that. It was just really powerful. But that's so true about the boy who did it. Like it really could have been him being a be especially the way that his parents reacted. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's probably not something he's seen before. Does it make it right? Does it change the fact that you were assaulted? Absolutely not. But I hope that he got help as well. Definitely. Hey, beautiful ladies. My name is Nicole, and this is the first time I've sent anything in, so bear with me. It's definitely paranormal, and it's a couple of different stories. So first off, I was about seven, and my mom's mom had just passed away. She used to come over and visit us all the time growing up, and her and my mom were really close. So I remember one night, me, my little brother, my mom, and my dad were sitting around the coffee table in the living room and having a do-it-yourself taco night. My mom asked me to go into the kitchen and grab something. It may have been napkins or who knows why, but the storm door was the only door closed that led to the outside so I could see everything outside. And it was already dark out, but I heard a tapping on the back door. And there was my grandma. It didn't scare me, and I'm not sure why, but I remember going back into the living room and sitting down like normal and just looking at my mom and telling her that grandma is at the back door. I still remember her facial expression and her going and shutting the big wooden door, but that was the only time I had ever seen her after she passed. The second story I have is paranormal as well. So at 14 years old, I lost my dad to liver failure. Then, at 17, I lost my mom to cancer. My mom's death affected me more than my dad's death. I went into a really bad depression and didn't get out of bed. I cried all the time and cried myself to sleep almost every night. 
One night while I was sleeping, I had a really strange feeling and woke up. I looked at the clock and it was three in the morning, but sitting on the end of my bed was my mom. She looked so beautiful and no longer sick. She looked right at me and told me that she was okay. And then she was gone. And the next day I was able to get myself out of bed and start a new chapter in my life. I still miss her, but she made it a little easier. And something absolutely crazy is my dad passed away October 20th, 2003. My mom passed away October 19th, 2006. My parents died exactly three years to hours and one day apart. Thank you for taking the time to read this. Stay beautiful and creep it real. Wow. Your mama was not letting anyone mess up taco night, which Mm -mm. I can definitely understand. Because make your own tacos. Mm. Secondly, my heart goes out to you for losing both of your parents. But that's really amazing that you got that closure with your mom. And found the drive to get up and yeah do it, you know? Yeah. Golly. All right, last one. This is titled, Don't Ever Be That Apartment Neighbor. Hey, Carrie and Donna. This is my second sinister sightings I've sent. That is weird because you just read one that's like, this is my first time to send anything in. Maybe it's not weird. (laughs) And I'm grasping at straws. Okay. The first was about a kid ghost at the nursing home. Not sure if you read it because I haven't caught up yet. Oh, we did. We did. We did. Like, and I remember it and I don't remember shit. (laughs) That is very true. Yes, because I was like, wait, is it like a pirate going? Because he didn't have, he only had one eye. I don't remember all that. Oh, fuck. (laughs) How do you remember a kid, a kid ghost? And like, that was the whole thing. He only had one eye. And I was like, wait, is it dangling out? Or is it like a pirate patch? That sounds familiar. Oh, my God. Anywho, I wanted to send this one because instead of the medical setting, it's my old apartment. Bear with me, it's long. So between 2012 and 2018, I lived in a haunted apartment. At first, it was just an old man who really didn't do anything but just kind of hung out. But at one point, we had a neighbor move in below who was into all that dark, quote unquote, let's summon a demon stuff. And so that little shit welcomes something not cool into the building. Seriously, don't be that neighbor. That was around 2014, 2015. At the time, my now ex and I had gotten married. So we were all good until this thing started to, for the lack of a better word, pick on us. The mood quickly shifted and we were fighting more and more. My sleep paralysis also got worse at this time, too, and so did my ex's drinking. I would see the shadow man more and more in my sleep paralysis, and one night, it got way worse. Trigger warning, graphic episode. I had an episode where I was held down by what I thought was a demon, but looked up to see my then-husband with a very sinister grin on his face. I turned my head to see my husband sleeping next to me. I looked back, and instead of seeing him on top of me, I saw the devil. I could feel all of his weight on me, among other things, pushing against me, if you catch my drift. Not the carbs and cock I wanted, 
Luckily, I remembered the Netflix documentary about sleep paralysis where one guy said to move your big toe. So I concentrated on that and was able to break out of the episode. My marriage really started breaking down because there was more drinking, which led to cheating, which led to physical fights. To the point of him choking me, screaming he was going to kill me. It was bad. I just knew there was something influencing it all. My ex ended up moving out and moved in with one of the girls he cheated on me with. I was lucky enough to have moved into a new apartment myself and nothing followed and the new place was peaceful. Flash forward to 2020 and I'm happily remarried to someone else and live in a house instead of an apartment. Unfortunately, the original part of this house was built in 1890, and my husband has had numerous car accidents happen in his front slash side yard. Luckily, what ghosts may be there are nothing sinister and no demons. This house used to be a church at one time, so maybe there's still that holy juju there. We are renovating this house, so if we stir up anything, I'll let you know. Keep it creepy, my friends, and... Like, oh, could you imagine waking up to something on you and it's your husband's face grinning, but then you look and he's actually fucking beside you? Right. No. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, like, I don't even want to think about that. No. Like, that's too much. Did he, I wonder, like, did the ex-husband calm down after that? Like, when he got out of the house or the apartment and you got out of the apartment and he's, I mean, did he... Did the drinking stop? Did the, you know, the anger, did all of that get better? I mean, I hope it did for everyone's sake. Yeah. I'm glad you're doing better, girl. We always have a common thread and we always say, oh my God, we always have a common thread. But this episode was about some really hard, traumatic life events. It really was. But it's also about people surviving and... Not just surviving, fucking thriving. Definitely. After these horrible traumatic events. Like so many of these stories, these people are like, I'm great now. I'm healthy. I'm happy. I'm remarried. I'm this. I'm that. And it's like, that's, I don't know. That's so, it's just fucking, I don't know, amazing and heartwarming. And I hope that everyone else can feel the strength from these stories that I feel. Yeah. And not just people who are going through similar situations, but just with the whole COVID stuff, with everything that's happening in general, like all of that stress and all of just the unknowing of 2020 is really hard. But we're together. We're in it together. We will make it through. And just like we said before, if you need help, please reach out and find help. There are numerous hotlines that you can call. You've got NAMI, you've got suicide hotlines, you've got all these places that are resources for you on a national level and in your community. So please reach out for help. Definitely. Thank y'all so much for sending these stories. Keep them coming. Aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.